Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast lair. This is Chris. And this is Rain. And in case you didn't already know, you are listening to the Dirty Talk podcast, which hopefully you already know because... It'd be a little weird if you were listening to it and you didn't know what podcast you were listening to. Unless somebody played it for you and they didn't tell you what it was. Or you were suffering from amnesia or a concussion and were unaware of the fact. Or downloaded this in a fugue state and wanted to see what it was that you had done. Maybe you were blackout drunk. We don't know. We don't judge. No judgment. Judgment-free zone the here. The point is you're here. With us. And you're listening. For the awesomeness we're about to lay on your ear holes. Today we are going to be talking about a very divisive issue that faces society. There's a lot of questions that come up. I know we see eye to eye on a lot of them. Coke versus Pepsi. Mm -hmm. I don't think either one of us care because nope. neither one of us drinks either Coke or Pepsi. No. We have no dogs in that race. Beatles or Elvis. Beatles, Beatles, of course. We agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Toilet paper over under? Over. Over. Come Anybody on. who goes under, I go to people's houses and I will switch it. I fix it. <laughs> if I see that they have left the toilet paper roll under. They, if, they, if they do it wrong, I will correct it. And the patent. Yes. The yes. patent for the toilet paper roll shows so specifically that you are supposed to go over. Now, I have cats. And as a result, currently, I have to have it up on a shelf. But when the cats get old enough not to mess with the toilet paper, it's going back and it's going to be over. As, which is the right... as God intended. Yes. Some things we don't see eye to eye on, uh, orange juice, pulp versus no pulp. No pulp. Pulpy for me. We're wrong. I love the pulp. You're so wrong. It's so gritty in the mouth. Oh. Uh, creamy versus chunky when it comes to the peanut butter. Oh, creamy. Chunky all the way. Wrong. You know my favorite peanut butter. I do. Trader Joe's Blue Label Chunky. It is the best fucking peanut butter ever. And I've gone through a lot of peanut butter. So you've tried to pass some peanut butter off on me. And I was like, dude. You're a peanut butter connoisseur. I'm a peanut butter snob. Yes. Trader Joe's Blue Label is the best peanut butter I've ever had. Fact. Which brings us to the topic of today's conversation, tits versus ass. I think we can agree we are both ass people. This is a fact. We are devout practitioners of the Buddhism. <laughs> True. I'm known for bringing some cleavage to the table. Yes. But my... I've gotten some cleavage in my eye before <laughs> but when I'm hanging out with you. Right. Uh, my personal preference, if we're going to go for breasts, is smaller. Mm -hmm. I like those nice, perky teacup-sized titties, but it's really about the butt. I know that's what grabs your attention. Oof. And oftentimes when we're out in public, you will grab me, squeeze my arm, yes. and point, I do. shaking, like, yes. look at that thing over there, yes. and you will get a glazed look it's true. in your eyes and oh, start yeah. drooling, and just mm -hmm. it's mesmerizing. It will hypnotize you on the spot when you see just a ripe, round booty. This is a fact. I'm telling you that a, a well-designed and attractive-looking woman is nature's antidepressant. And if you're in a bad mood and you see someone that's really well put together walking down the street, it elevates your mood. It, it makes me, I don't know, am I a weirdo? It makes me feel better when you see someone who's just, and no offense to men, but men are just not as fun to look at. No I know. They're not. You know, you can. You guys are handy. You can do things. But but there are women that like to look at guys' butts. And some girls will say, oh, look at the butt on that guy over there. Yeah, 
I have heard women, I'll be honest, they don't say it as much. And there are women that are into butts. I'm going to let our listeners in on a little secret. And I've said it before, and people are probably not going to believe me, but I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's a really important point. Women are simply not as visually based as men, on average. Not all women. This is, this is you. Hashtag no, no, women. Mm-hmm. On average, on average, I've talked to many, many, many women. And here's the thing. Men tend to be very visually based. And then you see women and you ask them, what's the most important thing? It is not looks. It's humor. It's confidence. It is talent. It is a skill. It is charisma. It is ability. It is status. It is many things that men bring to the table that it's not as much about their body. I've told men this before and they're like, no, it couldn't possibly be. It's like, we you see these women and you, you wonder why they're with the guy and they're with the guy because we don't care as much in general about the body. So what you're saying is stop sending the dick pics, start sending the charisma pics. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Get a good charisma pic, gents. <laughs> start want, throwing that out at the women. <laughs> you want to get in the pants, don't necessarily woo them with your flesh. They're not going to listen to me. They're going to keep sending dick pics. I know. Of course. But uh, I'm telling you. You get your fair share on a regular. Oh, my God. I've got dick pics coming out of my ear holes. Oh, my God. So much penis. Look at my pink tube. It's different than all the other pink tubes. No, it's not. They all look the same. But when it comes to butts and tits, there's there's a widely <sighs> oh. different... I mean, penises come in all different sure, sizes. Sure, sure, sure. There are some people that are dedicated breast people. Yes. And that's why I'm saying it's a divisive issue in society. Oh, no, I can't. You know, woman with a great rack does it for me. Believe me, I'm informed of that on a daily basis of the dazzlement that is my rackage. I know. So today we are going to take our own unique look at the topic of TNA. Indeed. In a way that only the Dirty Talk podcast can. Booyah. We have both done our separate research on the topic, things that interest us when it comes to the T and the A, and here is what we have to present to you, our dear listeners. Settle down and get ready for some magic. But first, if you have any questions, comments, if you want to share anything with us, you can always call and leave a message on the call-in line if you have ideas for a future episode, have a burning question that you want us to answer on a future episode, give us a call at 614-733-4739, also known as 614-R-DeGray. You ready for it? I'm ready. All right. Let's dive in. Feet first. Let's talk about big tits. I'm listening. Do go on. There is a language theory called the Linguistic Relativity Hypothesis, which presupposes that one's experience of the world is shaped by the individual's language. Yes, I have heard that hypothesis as well. I remember reading an article by Robert Crumb's daughter. When she was 13, she and her mother and her father all relocated to France. 
And because she moved to France at the age of 13, at this point in her life, she's an artist like her father, and she's completely bilingual and fluid in both languages. And in the interview that I was reading, because she's also an artist, she says that when she goes to draw, she's either drawing with a French mindset or she's drawing with an American mindset, and that the art that she's creating is actually different depending on which culture's mindset she's in. So yes, it seems that words do shape us and shape the way we think. But uh, what does it have to do with tits? Well, one of the tenets of this theory is that you can determine what is important to a society based on the number of words or phrases that a community has for something. Like the often cited incorrect assertion that the Eskimos have over 200 words for snow. If this is correct, then obviously breasts are extremely important to English speakers in America because we have a myriad of terms that relate to them, like knockers, melons, bazookas, jugs, headlights, sweater puppies, large tracts of land, torpedoes, cantaloupes, milkers, the twins, Snuggle pups, fun bags, chesticles, tatas, dirty pillows. You get the point. There's a lot of names. There are a lot of names, and I'm sure there's plenty we completely missed. Not all societies have such a fixation on breasts. In a 1951 study of 191 cultures, anthropologist Cleland Ford an ethnologist Frank Beach reported that breasts were considered sexually important to men in only 13 of those cultures. 13 cultures also reported breast stimulation during sex, but only three of those overlapped with the societies where men reported finding breasts important for sexual attraction. So while Americans are not completely unique in its preoccupation of breasts as a sexual object, we are definitely in the minority. Huh. Having very rarely left America and having the American mindset, I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to be in a culture that was not completely fixated with breasts. Our society is not only sexually infatuated with breasts, we are particularly obsessed with large breasts. I'm sure most everyone recognizes the rhyme... We, we, must. Must. We, we must. must. We must. We must. We must increase our bust. The bigger the, bigger, the better, the tighter the sweater, the boys depend on us. There are a lot of theories as to why we focus on large breasts. There is the socioeconomic theory, with a study that found that the wealthier a man is and the more satiated by food, the smaller the breasts he preferred. What? Wow, that's... That's interesting. Okay. Mm hmm. Huh. There is also a theory that says our preoccupation with large breasts has to do with our perceived idea of a woman's fertility and the ability to feed offspring. A 2004 study in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B even found that women with large breasts have higher levels of the hormone estradiol mid cycle, which could increase fertility, and we may know this in some innate way. However, there is no definitive answer 
as to why we are so obsessed with large breasts. Americans might just be poor, hungry, and want very fertile women. What we do know is that making breasts bigger is big business. I see what you did there. You yourself have uh, boltons. I I do. Uh, to be fair, in my defense, uh, large breasts run in my family. And I was 14 when I went from a size A to a size C in a month and a half. And I didn't get an augmentation in order to get massive titties. I got it in order to reverse the damage that gravity had done after running around with a set of full C titties for enough years. Once I started failing the pencil test, I decided it was time for some science. You're not alone in getting a breast augmentation procedure. According to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, there were 313,735 breast augmentation surgeries performed in 2018, an increase of 5% over the previous year. Now, the average cost of breast augmentation ranges from $5,000 to $10,000, which means that this procedure alone is a $1.5 to $3 billion a year industry. That's a lot of fun bags. Since the year 2000, breast augmentation has overtaken the previous two cosmetic surgery procedures, rhinoplasty and liposuction, to become the most popular cosmetic plastic surgery in the United States. Now, this isn't taking into account Botox, which is a very popular procedure, but it's not considered to be a surgery, right? That's definitely cosmetic. In the time frame between 2000 and today, the number of breast augmentations performed every year has risen a staggering 47%, while rhinoplasty has fallen 45% and liposuction has fallen 27%. Almost twice as many people are getting breast augmentations today as they were 20 years ago. All these numbers got me curious about the evolution of surgically implanting things in breasts to increase their size and how it's become such a cultural phenomenon. Surprisingly, the insertion of foreign objects into the breasts is over 120 years old. What? Yep. Now, travel with me back to Heidelberg, Germany. The year is 1895. The renowned surgeon, Vincent Cerny, had just removed a large tumor from the left breast of a 41-year-old singer. Following the operation, the woman returned to him expressing concern about the now lopsided appearance of her breasts and wanted to know if anything could be done to correct it. Cerny considered this, and upon examining the woman, found that she had a fatty tumor in the lumbar region of her back. He concocted a plan, which involved removing this tumor from her back and inserting it into her breast to fill the gap left by the previous operation. So he removed one tumor 
and then found another one that he could just shove back into the chest cavity <laughs> to give her fuller breasts again. He removed the bad tumor and replaced it with a not-so-bad tumor. Mm -hmm. Other doctors took note of this operation and began to experiment with different materials to use for this type of procedure, and thus, breast enlargement was born. One of the first things to be used was paraffin. Uh, isn't that like wax? Paraffin is a combination of petroleum jelly and olive oil. Oh. Austrian surgeon Robert Gesserny first started experimenting with paraffin injections to increase parts of the human body when he injected it into a soldier's testicle to, as he put it, Make it a heavier size. This soldier had had some issue with his testicles and he couldn't pass the physical to join the army. Because his balls were too small? Yeah, or they were misshapen because one wasn't correct and the other one was because he had some issue with his testicles. So he injected paraffin into the testicles to even out the size and make them look a healthier size. The army cares about your balls. You can't come in with mismatched testicles. Son. You can't enter heaven with mismatched testicles. So, this of course, true. the army's not okay. going to want you. Yeah, good point. He soon realized, after injecting this poor man's scrotum with petroleum jelly and olive oil, he soon realized that he could do the same with breasts. Brilliant, right? Natural progression. Unfortunately, it was soon discovered that paraffin injections had a small drawback. After a couple of years, the paraffin began forming large, impenetrable masses. It was also found to create enormous ulcers, cause total blindness, and often the patients would need a total mastectomy to save their lives. Oh, fuck. So back to the drawing board. <laughs> yeah, I should say. From the turn of the last century, up until the Second World War, a lot of substances were tried and failed including ivory balls, glass balls, lanolin, beeswax, shellac, silk fabric, yeah. wool, epoxy resin, ground rubber, ox cartilage, sponges, goat's milk, Teflon, soybean and peanut oil, and Glazier's putty. Where were they finding all of these women that were saying, cut me open and stick wool, silk, and glass balls inside me? Well, they weren't sticking them all in at the same time. I, I know. <laughs> no, I just... I, I just, know, you know. I mean... They were desperate for bigger breasts. And with no success. No track with no, record of success. no scientific evidence well, of anything. Let's just try right? it and see what happens. And astonishingly... None of these things did the trick and often had terrible side effects like infection, severe scarring, skin necrosis, pulmonary embolisms, liver problems, comas, and of course, death. death. <laughs> Who could have seen that coming? Uh, me. Me. I could have seen that coming. Well, unfortunately, you weren't there for them to ask. This brings us to World War II. In 1940, 
Researchers at the GE Corporate Research Laboratory discovered a method for cheap, large-scale silicone synthesis. In 1943, the Dow Corning Corporation and Corning Glass formed a joint venture with the United States to develop silicone products to be used for military purposes during World War II. Ultimately, these silicones were used for waterproofing, to prepare grease and oil products for aircrafts, to insulate electrical transformers, and to prepare high-temperature-resistant rubbers. After the war, silicone found a new use in occupied Japan. Because American servicemen had a reputation for preferring women with breasts, which were larger than most of the Japanese women, cosmetologists started experimenting with enlarging the breasts of prostitutes by injecting this new substance, silicone. As the story goes, the material for the first injections came from stolen supplies of silicone fluid, which was used as an industrial coolant. Officials noticed that the fluid was disappearing at an alarming rate, and upon investigation, they found that the fluid was being sold by servicemen to cosmetologists for the purpose of injecting it into the prostitutes to make them more appealing to the Americans. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> of course not. No one ever sees it coming. <laughs> At first, they found that the silicone would migrate through the body, so they developed what came to be called the Sakuri formula. The addition of olive oil, cottonseed oil, peanut oil, or cobra venom. Again with the olive oil. <laughs> they really like sticking olive oil in chesticles. Oh, it's it's nice, all natural, right? But the cobra venom? Where are they? Were they milking these cobras and then mixing it with silicone? And they're like, we're going to inject this into this prostitute's tits. Oh, that sounds like a bad Saw movie. The addition of these compounds would cause immediate scarring and thus encapsulate the silicone at the site of injection, so it would not migrate through the body like it was before. It wasn't long until this procedure migrated to the United States, and by 1965, more than 75 surgeons in Los Angeles were offering silicone breast injections. Silicone was believed to be biologically inert and non-reactive. The women that underwent this procedure started having complications, including ulceration, scarring and swelling around their breasts, infections, and gangrene, and at least four deaths were attributed to silicone injections, including one woman that had the silicone migrate to her lungs, causing her to suffocate. Ugh. Jesus. Talk about really wanting big tits. Finally, the breakthrough in breast enlargement that came to dominate the rest of the century happened in 1962 when Dr. Frank Garrow squeezed a plastic bag of blood and remarked on how much it felt like a woman's breast. <laughs> Whenever I touch my breast, I think that feels just like a bag of blood. That's why I was thinking of that just earlier today. <laughs> my, I'm enjoying these large bags of blood on you. You yourself are essentially just a large bag of blood. Correct. This was his eureka moment. 
He thought to himself, I can fill these bags with silicone and use them as implants. Genius. <laughs> Genius. The first recipient of these new improved implants would be a dog named Elsmeralda. I thought you were going to say a prostitute. No, 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 no. I'm sure plenty of prostitutes will get them down the line. But no, the first one was a dog. Why? Well, it seems that the prostitutes are on the front line for having fans injected in their chest, though. Or at least the Japanese ones. Mm. Garo and his partner, Thomas Cronin, inserted the silicone-filled bags under Esmeralda's skin and left them for a couple of weeks until she started compulsively chewing at the stitches. They decided that they needed to be removed. Poor Esmeralda. The operation was deemed a success, and Garrow declared that the implants were as harmless as water. Now they just needed to find a woman to test them on. Was it a prostitute? No. Serendipitously, Timmy Jean Lindsay, 29-year-old mother of six, entered the picture. Not a prostitute. Now, I was able to track down Miss Lindsay's contact information online, and I reached out by email to her requesting an interview for the podcast. As of this recording, she is still alive, and she has the same inaugural implants from 1962 still embedded in her chest. I might not have had the correct information for her and didn't want to cold call the phone numbers that I found online, being like, hey, you know, Miss Lindsay there, I'd like to talk to her about her implants, (laughs) right? So Mm -hmm. being respectful... I didn't call, but I never heard back from the emails. So sadly, no interview for us. However, she has given multiple interviews over the years. So I have cobbled them together to present this dramatic recreation. Tell me about that day when they approached you about testing these new implants they had been working on. I went to the hospital that day to inquire about getting some rose tattoos removed from my chest. They said they could do the tattoos and then asked me if I would consider volunteering to try these new breast inserts that they had just created. And and what was your reaction when they told you that they wanted to put these silicone-filled bags in your chest? I told them that I would be willing to do it, but that my breast size had never really bothered me. Maybe I had started sagging, but I had not thought it was anything to fret about. When I was growing up, We were poor, and we didn't have many mirrors to look in. What I really didn't like were my ears. I was so embarrassed about my ears. I thought they stuck out like Dumbo. So they offered me a deal. If they could test their implants on me, they would pin my ears back for free. And what was your reaction after the surgery was completed? 
as I came back from surgery, there was just a lot of weight on my chest, like something heavy had been sitting there. That was about it. After maybe three or four days, the pain part of it had let up. They took the bandages off after ten days, and I thought my breast looked beautiful. All the young doctors were standing around, looking at them, saying how well they had come out. And did they change your life at all? Did you notice that people treated you differently? It wasn't a big deal to me. I went from a B to a C cup. But it made men more aware of me. More men would whistle at me. Sparky! Hush! I'm on the phone, doing an interview. Be quiet. I know a lot of women over the years have have reported issues with their implants. Have they ever given you any problems? Uh, Have you ever regretted doing the procedure? I am proud of what I have done. I pioneered implants that have benefited thousands of women. I truly believe women should be free to choose. But, to be honest, there are times when I think I would like to have mine taken out. I started to get pain in the 80s, and sometimes it lasts for five or six weeks. It feels like I have broken a rib. They have hardened and calcified. So if I could do it again, I would probably just go for a breast lift. That was all I really needed. Even though silicone breast implants have been around since the 1960s, the FDA didn't start regulating them until 1976. At that time, they were listed as a Class II device, which carried only a moderate risk. In the early 1980s, Concerns arose about the safety of breast implants, in particular silicone gel-filled breast implants. FDA's new surveillance systems identified frequent local complications and adverse outcomes, and other published case reports described cancer and connective tissue disease in some women with breast implants. In response, the FDA reclassified breast implants into Class 3 higher-risk products needing pre-market approval and called for manufacturers to provide data demonstrating the devices were safe and effective. In 1992, the FDA determined that the manufacturers had not adequately addressed public concerns about certain complications such as implant rupture, and silicone leakage. Following the advice of an outside expert advisory panel, the FDA removed all silicone gel-filled breast implants from the market and required manufacturers to submit pre-market approval applications that contained data on safety and effectiveness. In 1999, the Institute of Medicine released a comprehensive report of the published literature and ongoing studies on breast implants, entitled Safety of Silicone Breast Implants. 
the report made a clear distinction between local complications and systematic health concerns. It concluded that local complications were the primary safety issue with silicone breast implants. These local complications, which included rupture, pain, capsular contracture, disfigurement, and serious infection led to medical interventions and repeat surgeries. Importantly, the IOM report concluded that there was no evidence that silicone breast implants cause systematic health effects such as cancer or autoimmune disease. And in 2006, the FDA officially approved a few silicone gel-filled implants Despite frequent local complications and adverse outcomes, the FDA determined that the benefits and risks of breast implants were sufficiently well understood for women to make informed decisions about their use. But, now here's a but, I know we're talking about tits, but here's a, here's a quick but. There is some controversy. As I'm sure you are well aware... Over the years, there are a number of women that have complained that their implants have given them long-term problems and caused autoimmune diseases. This phenomenon has been dubbed breast implant illness. The common complaints surrounding breast implant illness are... I'm going to list these off and see if you identify with any of these. I know it's scary. Fatigue. Yes. Chest pain. Yes. Hair loss. Yes. Headaches. Yes. Chills. Yes. Photosensitivity. What's that? Sensitive to light. Yes. Chronic pain. Yes. Rash. Nope. Body odor. Nope. That you know of. Am I stinky and you're not telling me? No, you're not. You smell like a rose. Or actually, you smell like vanilla because you sprayed that stuff on you. Vanilla. Anxiety. Uh, I don't know. Am I anxious? Once in a while. Once in a while. Brain fog. Yes. <laughs> Sleep disturbance. Yes. Depression. Occasionally. Also, neurologic issues and hormonal issues that they feel are directly connected to their saline or silicone textured or smooth breast implants. Those are the common complaints. I'm fucked. Maybe, or it could just be fibromyalgia. I don't have fibromyalgia. But the thing is, is that all these symptoms, if you look at any disease, so they just... basically have the exact same symptoms. When you go to your doctor, here's what I'm, oh, what are the symptoms? All these things. Well, it could be anything. Those are the exact same symptoms for mold exposure, adverse reaction to breast implants, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue. It's, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty generic symptoms. However, in 2011, the FDA did come out with their own warning stating that silicone breast implants can cause breast implant-associated anaplastic large-cell lymphoma, a type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is cancer of the immune system, connective tissue disease, breast cancer, and reproductive problems. So all these years, they've been saying they're safe, they're safe, they're safe. However, their own FDA report from 2011 is like, well, maybe they do cause some of these long-term issues. Oops. All this history 
of these attempts to enlarge breasts leads us to the question, is it really safe and worth it to put any foreign object in our body purely for cosmetic purposes? The answer is probably no. Probably no. I know some people need them because of breast cancer. They've had mastectomies and they want to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. But just as an elective procedure, just because I want size quadruple F tits, probably not super safe. I'm sorry, women out there. (sighs) I'm coming from my male Truth bomb, knowledge bomb. No, you're right. And you know what people are going to do it anyway. Women were dying of course. and putting silk and glass and, and wool inside their tits. This isn't going to stop them. I do firmly believe that people have the right to choose what they want to do with their bodies. But if you are going to do it, you need to be fully educated on the risks before making such decisions. And a lot of people will just jump into these things without really being fully aware of the repercussions down the road. If you don't want to go for a permanent solution, like silicone breast implants. Is there other options out there? The most recent development in breast augmentation is direct saline injections. For only $2,500 to $3,500, you can have saline pumped into your breasts to increase their size. This boob job only lasts for around 24 hours, after which time your body absorbs the saline, you pee it out, and flush your glorious rack away. Previously on Dirty Talk After After Hours. Yeah, you ready for this final volley? I'm ready. All right, let's, let's do, do it. All right, hunker down. Oh, shit. It looks like they're regrouping. Ah! What are they doing over there? Oh, crap. Oh, Incoming! After Hours, available exclusively on Patreon every Monday morning. If you do want to get access to the Dirty Talk After Hours podcast, you can get it in one of two ways. You can follow Rain DeGray on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Rain DeGray. 
You have to type it out exactly. I'm not searchable because I'm naughty. She has been blacklisted. She's in the adult ghetto. I'm a bad, bad girl. Or you can head on over to our brand spanking new shiny Dirty Talk podcast Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Dirty Talk podcast. Either way, if you pledge at $5 a month, you will get exclusive weekly access to the Dirty Talk After Hours podcast. That's a lot of talk about the dangers of breast implants. But are you aware that they also save lives? (laughs) Breast implants save lives? Correct, multiple times even. I am curious. You have piqued my interest. There is something undeniably pleasing about a soft, rounded curve. Our eyes are drawn to it. Unlike the harsh, straight lines that humans create, there is something soothing and comforting about a curve. And there are few things on this planet quite as curvy as women. They have curves both coming and going. In specific, I want to talk about the curves coming. I will get to the curves going later on in this podcast, but for now, I want to talk about breasts. Captivating, glorious, bouncy, beautiful breasts. Fuck, I love boobs, though. I just really love them. Fuck, I love boobs, though. I just want to rub them. Oh, they are just so jubey. They make me feel groovy. I would rather watch boobs than a movie. Be-doop-be-doop-doo-doo-doo-doo. I just really love boobs. We love breasts so much, we have actually invented breast implant surgery, as just covered by my charming co-host, Chris. Not content with what nature has handed out to us, we are always trying to refine and improve on what we've been given. Plastic surgery is a booming market that grows by the year. If you think about it, the idea of paying someone thousands of dollars to sedate you, cut you open, and stick sacks over or under your pectoral muscles in order to be more curvy sounds ridiculous. Who would ever sign up for such a thing? Obviously hundreds of thousands of women a year. We've heard a lot about implants going wrong, rupturing, leaking, causing pain, not looking right. The Vietnamese singer Mai V even had one of her implants burst while she was on a plane. Because they just couldn't handle the uh, The cabin pressure. The cabin pressure of the plane took her tit right out. (laughs) And to add insult to injury, her surgeon claimed that she'd had a poor quality implant put in and refused to honor the lifetime warranty that supposedly came with the implant. Yeah, yeah, crappy surgeon. I didn't realize they came with a lifetime warranty. Some of them do, yeah. Oh, okay, the higher class ones, not the, the cheap Chinese ones. I don't know where this Vietnamese singer got her implants. Uh, there have actually been murder cases solved because each implant comes with its own tracking serial number. 
So corpses that have been found that have had implants, when they do the autopsy, they're able to find out who the person is because you can track it to the serial number that's in each breast. Oh, interesting. I did not mm -hmm. know that. Luckily, Myvi was able to find another surgeon to repair the damage and was able to restore her to her curvy, man-made glory. That's not what today's topic is about, though. Today's topic is about how breast implants can save lives. That's right. In addition to giving your curves some more oomph, implants can also save your life. Say what now? No way. But it's true. Not only is it true, it has happened more than once. Multiple times, even. Isn't that the definition of more than once? You're a dork. Sit back, settle down, and let's go over some case histories of implants saving lives. All right, let me uh, get a little comfortable here. Uh. <laughs> All right, hit, it, hit me with it. Sometimes, those fun bags aren't just fun to look at. They are literal lifesavers. Our first case is a 40-year-old woman in Moscow who got in a fight with her husband. He flew into a rage, picked up a knife, and stabbed her in the left breast. He was probably going for her heart, the same heart he felt had so injured him. Due to the unusually large silicone breast implants he had requested she get five years earlier, the knife was blocked. Her surgeon confirmed if she hadn't had a boob job, she would have died in the stabbing. She must have enjoyed the implants, as she later had them replaced. Hopefully she replaced the husband as well. When a gunman burst into the Beverly Hills dentist office where she worked and opened fire, hitting her in the chest, Lydia did not think she would survive. But the fact that she had had her chest boosted from a B cup to a D cup turned out to be a blessing. To quote her surgeon, she is one lucky lady. The bullet fragments were millimeters from her heart and her vital organs. Had she not had the implants, she might not be alive today. In 2006, a woman in Bulgaria gave new meaning to the terms airbags. When Alina Maravova 24, was in a head-on collision. Her 40 double D breasts absorbed... 40 double D? 40 double D. Wow. Those massive, massive airbags. That's some mammary. <laughs> Booyah! Absorbed much of the impact of the crash. A police officer explained, they worked just like airbags, protecting the victim's ribs and vital organs from damage. But they are not as safe as the real thing, because they exploded, which airbags are not supposed to do. So they exploded inside the, her chest. Yes, and had to be repaired. <laughs> I mean, they, she's alive. She's alive. She's alive. Her, her breasts exploded, mm -hmm. but she lived to tell the tale. And had she not had 40 double D tits, she'd be dead. If she had just a mere C cup. <laughs> she would not be with this. She would not have made it. In... 2006, a woman was saved from a terrifying terrorist attack by her implants. The 24-year-old Israeli woman was snared in a rocket attack, but her silicone implants kept shrapnel from reaching her heart. A 35-year-old woman in Florida was diagnosed with a very rare ailment, 
a floating heart. Apparently, because the woman had had her right lung removed, her heart had a little space to wander around, causing all sorts of problems. But her doctor had a very clever solution and gave her implants, which now keep her heart in place and stop it from wandering. A 41-year-old Floridian woman was attacked with a knife by her ex-fiancé's new girlfriend. Thankfully, she was protected by her new breast implants. According to police reports, the victim was stabbed repeatedly on the left side of her chest with a pocket knife. Again, on the left side. A lot of, I'm going to take your heart out, you bitch. Well, also, because if if it's a right-handed person attacking a person, the other person, like if I were coming at you and I were to stab you, it would go into your left side because oh, I'm right-handed. Because yeah. if you're facing the person, okay, like oftentimes you would get a black eye on your left side of your face. That's where, isn't that where you got yeah, the Bell's palsy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you would get smacked because your ex-boyfriend was right-handed handed. and it wasn't malicious. Oh, no, it was consensual. Eyes. It was consensual black eyes, but, but you would always left. get it in the left because... Yeah. Good point. Okay. So it was it was not very deep. I'm going to get your heart. It's that most people are right-handed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good point. Haven't you ever seen To Kill a Mockingbird? I read the book. That's how Atticus Finch proved that. I right. don't remember the guy. Because his... Boo, Boo Radley. No, no. Boo Radley was the neighbor. The, oh, the, okay. the weird neighbor kid that lived down the road. No, the black man that was accused oh, of right, right, okay. raping the white lady. Mm-hmm. He had one arm, but his uh, left arm didn't work because he had it the, the muscles torn out by a cotton gin i think he only mm-hmm. was had his right arm but the lady had a black eye on the right side and it turned out that her father was left-handed because uh, if you're left-handed then you would give the black eye on the right, right side yeah oh yeah check that out okay good point instead of piercing her lung or heart and potentially killing her the knife hit her breast implants causing the implant to rupture but protecting her vital organs There's more. These breast implants, I'm telling you, they're lifesavers. An Australian resident was on a bicycle with a friend when both were attacked by a kangaroo. (laughs) The kangaroo... For the kangaroo. Well, it's Australia. I mean, come on now. Yeah, of course. The kangaroo knocked them off their bicycles before jumping away. And you're like, oh, how, how cute kangaroo. What could a kangaroo possibly do to you? The lady broke three ribs due to the kangaroo. Doctors believe that the injuries would have been much worse if her breast implants had not cushioned her fall. And last but not least, breast implants of the whopping size of 38 KKK saved Brazilian model Shayla Hershey's life during a car crash after a Super Bowl. The 32-year-old model crashed into a tree after celebrating the win of the New York Giants. The airbags in her car failed to deploy on impact, but her breast implants stepped in. Unfortunately, she did still face a DUI charge from the police, but she did not sustain any significant injuries. Let that be a lesson to you all. Don't drink and drive. But if you do, make sure that you have massive knockers. It just might save your life. So that's the second instance that you found where somebody's airbags didn't work, but their tits saved their life. Correct.
my god, Becky, look at her butt. It is so big. She looks like one of those rap guy's girlfriends. Well, now that we've thoroughly covered the front side. Thoroughly explored the chest. Why don't we turn around to the back? Ooh, ready for some back door? Uh, always. All right. What do you got? Booty. Mm-hmm. Badonkadonk. There is no such thing as a beauty standard. That which society thinks is sexy and desirable shifts from country to country and era to era. Teeny, tiny feet, only made possible by breaking the foot, folding it over, and binding it down. Massive metal rings around the neck that press down on the collarbones, giving the visual impression of extending out a neck to giraffe-like proportions, tight-laced corsets that caused women to continually faint and do damage to internal organs. History is littered with a truly staggering variety of what is considered sexy and desirable at that exact moment, and the often astounding links that women will go through in order to achieve them. Upper-class Chinese women had their feet bound so tightly they could hardly walk, which was a sign of how wealthy they were. They literally didn't need to walk and could be carried everywhere by servants. Their only job was to be ornamental and fun to look at, which is often women's job throughout history. Until they start demanding pockets. (sighs) Once they get pockets, man, they get so uppity. The corseting craze was so widespread that women would even corset while pregnant, and special pregnancy corsets were available. If there's one thing a growing baby needs, it's to be tightly pressed down and given no room to expand. Strict corseting actually caused many women to miscarry and was allegedly used as a form of primitive birth control. You might not be able to stop yourself from getting knocked up, But if you lace up that corset tightly enough, the baby will not stick around. Mm, Squeeze it out of you like a tube of toothpaste. It was a version of Plan B when Plan B didn't exist. As promised earlier, however, this story is about curves, and not the curves caused by corsets. This story is about ass. Mm, Yeah. That badonkadonkdonk. In the Middle Ages... Curves were very desirable. The bigger you were, the higher your status was, because a plump body signified that you had the money and privilege to consume all the food you wanted. Being well-rounded was a status symbol, much like a pair of Louis Vuitton shoes would be today. Women wanted those curves. Because the pendulum always swings... What was considered desirable shifted, and those Rubenesque curves were replaced with the desire for tiny little wasp waists in the Victorian era. Twiggy and Kate Moss continued the trend for tiny and compact athletic bodies, giving hope to white girls with no ass the world over. That would include me. That all changed with Jennifer Lopez. And the torch was then picked up by the Kardashians, who ran with it hard. 
The difference between the Kardashians and Jennifer Lopez is that Jennifer Lopez was born with that glorious derriere, whereas the Kardashians had to purchase theirs. Those purchase butts worked out for them to the tune of millions, if not billions, of dollars. Make no mistake, purchased butts are all the rage these days. Buttock augmentation is used to improve the contour, size, and shape of the buttocks. This is done through the use of implants, fat grafting, and sometimes a combination of the two. Implants are silicone-filled devices that are surgically placed deep within the tissues of the buttock. Buttock augmentation through the use of fat grafting involves the transfer of fat from one area of the body into the tissue of the buttocks. This technique is sometimes referred to as a Brazilian butt lift. Butt implants can go wrong and shift to the point that the implant will actually flip in its pocket. I've seen it. It's... it's upside down butt? No, it, it's... So the implant is sh kind of shaped like a C-shape, like a mountain shape, right? Mm. Like a curve. Okay. And I actually saw this video that was going around. I don't know if it's been removed from YouTube, but if the curve of it, the implant would actually shift in the socket and someone that had an implant, then they had a, a concave butt um, and they actually had to manipulate the socket was loose enough that you could see their butt was a weird concave, almost like donut shape. Mm -hmm. And the camera's on them and they reach down and they touch their butt and they shift the implant in their socket, and you see it going from this curved reverse donut shape, flip, they poke it and shift out the implant, and then it's sh sitting the right way in the socket, and it looks like a juicy booty again. I'm like, how much wiggle room do you have in a socket wow. that your implant keeps shifting inside the pocket? You would think that the doctor would have secured it in some way. It was a mistake of some, but they could, they actually were pretty adept at the flip. They'd obviously done well, it. Yeah, it keeps they'd happening. They'd done it enough. They're like, oh man, the implant yeah. is shifted out of my butt. Twerk, twerk, twink. <laughs> right. like, hey, honey, honey. Yeah. Your butt's collapsed again. Your butt's collapsed. <laughs> Do the rotate, thing. rotate the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Implants can go wrong and shift to the point that the implant will actually flip in its pocket. And fat grafting is an expensive, painful, and temporary procedure as your body tends to reabsorb most of the shifted fat cells. I had a friend who spent $8,000 to have her own fat lipoed out of her stomach and reinjected into her ass. Not only was she unable to sit down for almost a month and had to carry a pillow with her everywhere, but after a year or so, that glorious shelf butt she'd paid for was mostly reabsorbed back into her body, and she looked pretty much the same as before the procedure. Wouldn't it stretch the skin out, and so now you just had... The skin can be pretty elastic. No? People get implants, and the skin doesn't get stretched out. Hmm. Uh, it's The skin has a lot of oomph. I mean, mm -hmm. she didn't get so much grafted that she got stretch marks on her ass, but she put it in, and she was thin, and she just had this butt. Boom, but after a year, it was gone. So she only really got to enjoy it for... A handful of months because there was the first few months that she couldn't sit down. Right. Had to carry a pillow, had to sleep face down, <laughs> had to sit carefully, 
had a couple months of it, and then it just slowly. Because you could imagine you you would sit on it and it would just smush to the. Yeah, you would it's really clear. Like they're like for the for a solid month, you had to sleep face down, ass up, and you couldn't sit on the butt, so you had to stand. Yeah, and it's, I, dude, I can't even imagine. And it was all for naught because mm-hmm. it got reabsorbed. So if implants shift and go wrong and fat grafting is not particularly effective in the long term, what are you going to do in order to get that Nicki Minaj butt shelf? What are you going to do to get that Nicki Minaj butt shelf? I'm so glad you asked. The answer is fillers. (gasps) Fillers, much like fillers that are injected into the face to plump it up, are injected into the glutamus maximus in order to puff it up to stay puff marshmallow man levels. The problem is that fillers are very expensive and take multiple rounds of treatments to do. A vial of filler goes for around $1,000 and patients need up to 10 vials. And as a result... Is that per cheek or just... 10 vials for the... But it's, it's $10,000. So so five vials, five, five vials per cheek. Right. And sometimes it can be less, but you know, on okay. average, it's like, okay. do you have a spare 10K? Not the, everyone does. They're shoving my ass. Right. As a result, there is an underground market for lower budget ass fillers. I think I see where this is going. Poorly, poorly is where this is going. <laughs> I think this is kind of going along the same lines as mm-hmm. my breast augmentations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Industrial grade silicone, mm-hmm. such as can be purchased at Home Depot. Ooh, like caulking? <laughs> is injected into the ass, at, often at events called plumping parties where multiple women will gather for these black market ass injections. Silicon can cause scarring and lumps, as well as migrating to other parts of the body, as covered earlier in this podcast. As horrifying as free-floating silicone may sound, even worse things can be injected into a butt in order to create those glorious globes. I don't, I don't doubt it. Substances such as cement. What? Fact. Mineral oil and flat tire sealant have also been used. Cobra venom? I didn't find anything for cobra (laughs) venom. I guess that's more breast than butt. Yes, people were actually getting injected with flat tire sealant in order to get that juicy booty. I guess if it works for your car, it's going to work for you. Want to work for that butt? It's got to work for the trunk. It should come as no surprise that these black market plumping parties have an extremely high complication rate. No, no shit. Yes, shocker. What? It's a good thing you're sitting down. That's a good... I was invited to one this weekend. It's a good thing that I passed. Cancel on that. A frequent complication is, in fact, death. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's the ultimate complication, I believe. If you don't die, you can be subjected to flesh rot, (laughs) gangrene, and horrific scarring. Hmm. While I was doing research for this piece... I came across photos of asses that were hardly still recognizable as asses. Google at your own risk. Should we link them to this podcast on the website? Uh, Google at your own risk. Just, just look it up. If you really yeah. want to see Frankenbutts, really yeah. then... All right. Oof. The people purchasing these illegal and underground injections know the risks, yet do it anyway every single one of them hoping they will be part of the percentage of people 
that do not suffer from complications. Roll those dice. This is what's known as the it-can't-happen-to-me syndrome or optimism bias. Mm -hmm. Optimism bias is the belief that each of us is more likely to experience good outcomes and less likely to experience bad outcomes. The key to optimism bias is that we disregard the reality of an overall situation because we think we personally are excluded from the potential negative side effects. People dying from a bad case of optimism bias are not going to stop shuffling off this mortal coil until society stops caring so much about getting that Kardashian-sized booty. As mesmerizing as it is to see those things wiggle, it's just not worth dying for. Learn to accept your tiny, flat ass. After all, I have. You've accepted it. I'm, and you make it look good at certain angles. I'm just fine with my pancake butt. Just fine. Yep. Fine. Yeah. Fine. You say it enough, you'll convince yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess... It's better to accept your pancake butt than go out and put flat tire sealant or cement. Yeah, no cement. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Nope. (laughs) Pass on the cement. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, butts. I hear that you have a piece for us about butts. I do. It's a little bit of a divergence. Okay. It's about things coming out of butts. Oh, as opposed to things going in. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Shall we? We shall. Lay it on me. Paris, 1893. It stood defiantly against the sky, a testament to the ingenuity of man, its shadow falling across the balcony of your hotel as the last rays of sun lost their battle with the horizon and threw a fiery autumn red against the darkening, bruised purple of the twilight. As you stood there on your balcony, discussing with your date for the night, this engineering feat, this crown jewel of the world's fair just four years past, this controversial edifice which divided the art community of France. Thousands of gaslights sprang to life like miniature supernovas, silhouetting its wrought iron lattice against the darkening night. A spotlight shone down from its pinnacle, a watchful eye upon the city which was coming to life fighting against the gloaming with its new electric illumination, truly earning it the name, the City of Light. A knock at the door of your suite caused the conversation to fall off like a river over a waterfall. Opening the door revealed a young man in his scarlet suit and cap. Votre cabriolet est arrivé, suivez-moi, s'il vous plaît. He said, gesturing to follow him down the hall. You and your date collected your things and followed the boy, your eyes adjusting from the darkness of the room to the dancing, gaslight brightness of the hallway. He led the two of you through the richly ornamented, broke splendor of the hotel lobby and into the porte-cotre, where you found your two-wheeled, handsome cab waiting. Once settled in the snug two-person compartment, the driver cracked his whip and the horse lurched forward into the Parisian streets alive with the evening traffic. You bounced along Avenue Besquois, rhythmically rocking with the tugging of the horse and every little imperfection of the pavement. 
approaching Pont d'Alma, you looked off to the left to catch one last glimpse of the Eiffel Tower, brilliantly illuminated against the dark night, slowly disappearing behind you as you traversed the inky black waters of the Seine. Continuing up Avenue George V and turning left on Champs-Élysées, you saw the Arc de Triomphe, situated in the middle of its starburst hub of streets, growing larger as you approached. At the Arc, the cabman steered the panting horse, radiating billowing wisps of steam into the quickly cooling night air, to the right, down Avenue de Wagram, and then to Boulevard de Courcier, Boulevard de Batignon, and finally, turning on Boulevard de Clier, you beheld your destination for the first time. Bright red and ablaze with electric light, the first building in Paris wired for power, the notorious Moulin Rouge. Capped by a towering crimson windmill, it glowed like a beacon, drawing both the elite of Europe and the proletarian drunkards like moths to a flame. Catching your attention upon disembarking the cab were the warning signs posted by the entrance. These cautionary signs informed the women in attendance that the evening show had caused many corseted ladies to pass out from extreme laughter, and even though there were nurses stationed around the auditorium, they were viewing the show at their own risk. The entrance was a portal to another world. It assaulted every sense, a blur of movement and color from the dance floor as the guests undulated and twirled in time to the music, the women in kaleidoscopic dresses of ruffles upon ruffles, nearly impossible to tell who were performers, guests, or prostitutes looking for an evening's pay. In the middle of it all, you caught the female Louise Weber, La Gouet, energetically working the crowd with her famous high-kicking dance. Mirrors hung on all sides, prismatically reflecting the light of the electric chandeliers and strands of bulbs that festooned the ceiling, causing you to catch their twinkling charged radiance no matter which way you turned. Champagne and absinthe filled the glasses of all in attendance, accentuating the festive spirit and heightening the surreal, dreamlike, hypnotic experience of this palace built to indulge in every wanton pleasure. As you pass the entrance to the garden, you caught sight of its famed plaster elephant, which towered over the revelers below. You knew that for a single franc, you could climb the spiraling staircase hidden within its leg, up to the secret room where you could lounge and smoke opium while scantily clad women belly danced for your amusement. But not tonight. Tonight you were here to see one man. A man that had become the toast of Paris and had drawn European royalty to see his inimitable performance. Without warning, the music stopped and the lights grew dim. A single beam of light illuminated the main stage. A man stepped out from behind the ornate curtain and addressed the now-hushed audience. Mesdames et messieurs, j'ai l'honneur de présenter une session de peu de a session 
of the fartomaniac. Then, in a flourish, the curtain opened, and he was there on stage, Joseph Bujol, le petoman, the fartomaniac himself, dressed in his signature black satin tuxedo, white gloves and red cape, he bowed to the audience which had exploded with applause. Then a slight squeak of a sound escaped him and echoed through the theater. That was the timid toot of a new bride, he said. And here she is a week later, he exclaims, as he emits a noisy, flapping fart. The crowd lapses into hysterical laughter. He then proceeds by imitating the loud, booming fart of a miller and then to complete his introduction a sustained ten-second blast of flagellance, greeted by cheers rising from the crowd. His act went on to imitate ducks, roosters, pigs, geese, toads, and a dog with its tail caught in a door. Then cannon fire and a thunderstorm reenactment, all by sucking air into his anus and carefully controlling it as he passed it back out. Nobility and peasant, young and old, men and women, all in attendance simultaneously clapped and laughed through tear-filled eyes by this performance. You had read an article about Le Pet Domaine. In the interview, he described how he had discovered this unique talent. During an annual family trip to the beach when he was a child, while holding his breath and diving underwater, he suddenly felt a cold sensation in his stomach. Alarmed by this strange feeling, he quickly swam ashore to investigate. There he found that nearly two liters of water began pouring from his rectum. Curious about this phenomenon, he began experimenting with this newfound ability and learned that he could draw large quantities of water into his anal cavity and expel it at will. Later, when he joined the army, he would entertain his fellow soldiers by squatting down into a pan of water, suction it into his bowels, and launch it several yards through the air like a geyser. He soon realized that he could also use his anus like a bellows, sucking in large quantities of air. Then, through meticulous training, he taught himself to carefully control his anal sphincter to produce the myriad sounds he used in his act. You reminisced on this as you stood there laughing along with your fellow guests, marveling at the years of mastery it had taken him to gain such precise control over his body. Now done with his imitations, he disappeared from the stage briefly, emerging with a length of hose protruding from a hole in the seat of his pants. Lighting two cigarettes, he took one from his mouth and placing it in the tube, began to smoke from both ends, producing large white rings of smoke from tube and lips which floated up over the heads of the assembly and slowly disappeared into the air. Extinguishing the cigarettes, he unveiled a flute on which he used his anal tube to play Le Marseille, encouraging people to sing along. As the last notes of the song faded away, a lit candle was brought on stage, and from several feet away, he extinguished it with a ferocious gust 
from his posterior, and then slowly went one by one to the gas lamps illuminating the stage, and blew each out in turn until the stage was dark, and he disappeared into the gloom to the sound of uproarious shouts and applause. The cheers slowly died, and the guests returned to their previous revelry, but not you. You collected your date and finished your still half-filled glass of champagne, made your way to the exit. You could delay the inevitable, impotently protest it, and drag it out till the waning hours of the morning. But all great nights must come to an end. Well, that's all we have for TNA this time around. I learned a lot. So did I. Basically, the moral of the story is don't put weird shit in your body. Isn't that a little late for me? Well, you've already got the weird shit in your body. Hopefully it won't cause too many more problems. Cancer, brain fog, fatigue. (laughs) I'm fucked. Well, you've gotten this far. Yeah, you're fine. fine. Optimism bias. Yes, it can't happen to you. Can't happen to me. But you're also planning on getting them out at some point. Correct. You don't know what you're going to do once you do. Um, wear a burka for the rest of my life. Throw other implants in there? Um, probably. Yeah. I really like having big tits. Once you go down that road, it's just, <laughs> you just keep going <laughs> down that way. Thankfully, you live in a time where you don't have to be injecting Cobra venom. Resume. <laughs> yeah, Cobra venom into your tits. And olive oil. Lots industrial of olive oil. Industrial strength silicone. Yeah. <sighs> Thanks for joining us for TNA. <laughs> As always, we will have a follow-up after hours episode because we have so much information. We research the fuck out of these podcasts. We do. And I have a lot more information. As do I. About... Not only the breast augmentation, but my last little story. I hope you guys enjoyed my little literary detour. It was fucking incredible. I'm I'm not even biased. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. It was really good. <laughs> no pun intended. See what I did there? Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'll be here all night. Try Hello. the veal. <laughs> Before we go, as always, we have the podcast challenge, which is the three R's. Rate, review, and recommend. recommend. Yeah, go to wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the podcast. Rate it if you can on that platform. Also, if you know anybody that's going to enjoy it, just recommend it to them. It honestly helps grow the word out, yeah. our numbers and grow our listening base. We want people to listen and enjoy and interact. We're trying to build a community of people that enjoy strange, interesting, twisted, odd things. Like us. Yes, that like to look at the science and everything behind this Science! It's all about the science. Three R's, rate, review, recommend. If you don't know already, the Dirty Talk podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, TuneIn Radio... Essentially, every single podcast app you can think of. It's, We're there. It's everywhere. Find it on one of those platforms, subscribe, and you'll get notified when a new episode comes out next month. Finally. Most importantly. We have 
some honorary producers that we want to thank. And if you yourself want to become an honorary producer, you can go to the Dirty Talk podcast Patreon page, which is patreon.com backslash Dirty Talk podcast. Easy enough to remember. You can actually find us on there if you search for it. I know you can't be found on there no, because you I'm are bad. in the dirty, filthy, awful, Ugh. sexy time person ghetto. I'm the worst. And you're hidden from search results. So if you yeah. go to Patreon, search for Dirty Talk Podcast, I guess we haven't been yet red flagged. Fingers crossed, man. <laughs> right. They haven't they haven't given us the filthy star to put on our chest to signify that we are filthy, filthy, filthy animals. So you could go there. Give us money and you please. can be <laughs> please please, give, please us give us money. And you too can become an honorary producer. We currently have an honorary producer, and that is Rolf Hansen. And his wives. lovely wives. All the wives and the babies. He's a busy man, that fellow. Wives yeah. and wives and children's. That's right. what it's all about. Thank you so much, Rolf, for your ongoing support. Uh we hope that you appreciate what we're creating with your funds. And he seems to appreciate it. I guess so. I talk to him a lot on social media. Yeah, he's on he's the Twitter a, a lot. He he's a very a of, peppy guy. A lot of emojis. He lots really of rainbows. likes rainbows. He's so into rainbows. He's a cheerful he's rainbow just a dude. Happy, cheerful rainbow yeah. kind of boy. Yeah, yeah. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows <laughs> everywhere. That's what I feel when you're around. I don't remember the rest of the words to the song. Yeah. <laughs> he uses more rainbow emojis than your 10 year old daughter. She does. Yeah. And she uses quite a lot of rainbow. But not as much as Rolf. I guess not. Thank you so much. Uh, Again, thanks for joining us. If you do decide to go check out our Patreon, you also get access to the Dirty Talk After Hours podcast, which comes out every single week on Monday. It's us talking about weird events, going on strange adventures. We have trivia competitions you could win something. You get shout outs. It's awesome. You should yeah, join it's us. just fun. Yeah. It's just all sorts of random news from the the week. Uh, you try uh, and kill me frequently. I Well, I haven't killed you much lately. Well, yes, we've been too busy. Sometimes we both die. Right, right, true. Yeah, I've been too busy to try and plot your death. Next time. <sighs> Someday. Someday, kid. <laughs> Again, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned. We have plenty more things coming your way. Do I get to fire off my jaunty salute now? All right. Give him your jaunty salute. Over and out. Till next time, my friends. Jaunty salute. Bye.